Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Roots of Life podcast. Today is going to be a fantastic episode. I'm very excited to share it with you. Uh, you've all heard me talk many times about my childhood friend, John Sketchley. He is here with me today at Satellite Studios, and we are going to talk about some very interesting things that I hope you all enjoy as much as I am going to enjoy talking about it. So stay tuned, enjoy the episode, and if you want to know anything more about Roots of Life, go ahead, go check out rootsoflifepodcast.com. You can find us on patreon.com forward slash rootsoflife, or you can also check out our Instagram handle where James posts some beautiful pictures, beautiful landscapes, and inspirational quotes. So if you have any questions or uh, topic ideas, feel free to hit us up at rootsoflifepodcast at gmail.com. So Again, I hope you all enjoy the episode. It's going to be a great one. I guarantee it. I'm very excited for it. So stay tuned. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Roots of Life podcast. My name is Taylor. I am one half of the hosts on the Roots of Life podcast, not joined by He Only Does Everything, James Fitzgerald. But I am joined today by a very special person in my life, very special person to the universe, my best friend, John Sketchley, who you've heard me talk about many times, and he is here now today with me at Satellite Studios. John, thank you for being here today. Hello, 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 hello. I have already done this introduction introduction once, but... Uh... But sometimes technology complicates things, only sometimes. So uh, I didn't want to completely replicate my first um, response, but hello, I am here finally to um, continue this live local journal with my best friend Taylor. And um, I am happy to be here and finally open up with my friend um, that I have not seen in a long time. Yeah, so I have a question for you, John, and I want... because. I want to ask you, like, if I was like a regular elevator pitch, you know, it's it's the the idea of, you know, when someone asks you, like, what do you do? And, you know, a lot of people identify with their jobs. You know, if I ask someone, what do you do? A lot of the times that means how do you make money? But I want to ask you, like, if I if you to all the people out there. How do you identify yourself? You know, if I asked you, like, who are you? What do you do? How would you how would you describe yourself? Mm. Like, tell everybody <laughs> out there who John Sketchley is. It's, like, such a broad and, like, all-encompassing um, introductory question. Okay, so um, I guess at the present moment, I would uh, describe myself as a bit of a nomad. I've been learning from a few different individuals, like, how to live life in a different way. And um, I guess now I would say I'm... I'm a traveler, I'm a tree planter, and uh, like I'm a lot of other things, but like these things change like throughout the years. Like I find that um, every year or so or one year or two years, like I'm on to a different trip. We have these experiences like early in life and I can never kind of stick on to one thing. I always have to be like trying to jump into and like hop into like a new kind of a trip, like a new experience. So, like, presently, um, like, I'm not writing as much as I used to. I'm not painting as much as I used to. I'm not watching TV as much as I used to. But, um, so, if I were to describe myself, like, I'm 
I'm into a lot of personal discovery. Like um, I've been doing a lot of like um, just breaking open the head, like working with the meditation and like a number of different vectors, like of exploring the the inner self. So, well, that's what life is all about, right? It's about, you know, the journey and trying different things and finding out how you can grow and evolve as a person. So, okay, well, you just mm-hmm. you just came from Vipassana. Mm-hmm. You just did a 10-day silent meditation. Mm-hmm. And that's not the first time you've done it, but the second time. Yes. So, uh, let's just, let me ask, like, how did the first time differ from the second time you did it? Yeah. And how, how, like, what made you want to go back because I know a lot of people, like, maybe you would only do it once. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, every person heading into this experience will um, have a very unique experience because humans are, like, highly specialized and highly um, individualized and, like, very variable. So, like, what I say, like, won't apply f- for the next human. So, like, anything I say, like, I'm not trying to blanket any any genre or like any personality type, but like, so for me, heading into Vipassana the first time, it was right after tree planting because my incredibly inspiring friend Ben, Ben Burge, had uh, had been speaking about it like ever since I had met him at a protest camp in Vancouver. And uh, through, through a tree planting, I had really learned to meditate like before I even knew what, what Vipassana was. Like I was... I was almost meditating every tree I would plant. It's uh, it's actually the perfect metaphor for meditation. And like when you learn meditation, and then you would tree plant, like you're planting like seeds of the of the future. And really, that's what we do with every um, every thought. Like we're planting seeds of the future. But um, so for the first time with the vipassana like getting into it i had all of these expectations and like that's usually unavoidable with like anything in life like unless you're some amazing like incredible yogi in the mountains in the cave or like some person who is like really like discover themselves to the to the point where they're completely in the present moment you will always have expectations expectations and that's okay like that's just that's the part of the human experience and the paradigm we just have to like understand how to be aware of the expectations and to not be very negatively critical about like the expectations that we have because it's organic in terms of organic in the sense of how we are programmed in um the modern world so that's kind of like a long like i'm 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 putting up actually talking about the meditation, but I'm just like running into it. It's like the a prelude about it. So it was one of the most intense experiences of my life, like the most hard. I've heard it can be really hard. Like you go kind of stir crazy for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and so you kind of, you know, you go and then I heard I, I've heard I've never experienced it myself because I've never done it. Uh, but 
I have vocalized to the fans that I will be going mm-hmm. to the listeners that I will be going to Vipassana in, in May. And so they are all aware of that if they have heard mm-hmm. previous <laughs> episodes. Um, but I've definitely set that expectation as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, it's I, almost impossible not to. Yeah. I've like, cause you've told me stories about it. And I also have uh, one, one of the yoga teachers at the studio that I practice at is also there right now. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I've had conversations with her about what she was kind of expecting through the stories that uh, her colleagues and friends have told her about. Mm -hmm. And then also the expectations. I have this expectation that my life's going to change. Like, I have this expectation that all these problems in my life are going to be solved. Well, the first thing that you said is true, like, like, that your life is going to change. But, like, that's true anyways, even without Vipassana. And actually, that's one of the things that Vipassana teaches anyways, is that everything will change. But do you think you're inducing change? Like, you're forcing it almost. I mean, which isn't a bad thing, but... But change happens all the time anyways. You're just you're just um, invoking another kind of change. And it's it's like accepting change as like the law of nature, like just as something that organically happens just as much as the rain will always come. And it's just something that's like there. But it's about like understanding what kind of change you want to see in your life and then like kind of speaking through that t- t- modality, like in terms of um, really being disciplined, like when you were in the meditation class and getting out of it what you want because um like even if people do a meditation class or like an ayahuasca retreat or like any of these things that are now like in modernity like advertised to be very transformational it's not necessarily so that if you do do these things if you take these pathways that like you will see what you want to see, like these people advertising on on um, on YouTube testimonials, like you need to really, really drop everything and like and uh, and really commit yourself to to these pathways to actually see the actual progress and benefit. Yeah, well, that's why I'm really excited for Vipassana myself, is because uh, whereas it's actually like you're putting in the work to change. Whereas I feel a lot of the times in, you know, the modern age and this day where, you know, somebody has a shoulder pain or somebody has uh, maybe some depressing thoughts, they go to a doctor and they just expect this doctor to solve their problems because this doctor has been studying for four or five years. And it's and now it's here's a pill. This is going to solve your problem. And then really it's like you're not addressing the problem. You're just kind of putting a blanket over it, you know, in a sense where you're not addressing the pain. It's you're trying to numb it. And so that's why I'm really excited is because I've met this resistance. I'm aware of this resistance in my life that's preventing me from doing certain things. And I'm really excited because I feel like I'm putting these this 10 days aside to really just like focus and tr- really try and work at uh, meeting this resistance with, you know, I'm trying to break it open. And I, and, uh, I love the quote, breaking open the head, is I'm really trying to uh, dig deep and kind of break open that block and just mm. get in mm-hmm. there and kind of yeah. see if I can actually induce the change myself as opposed to relying on someone else to solve my problems for me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like... um. 
like a lot of people heading into Vipassana, like within the first like three, well, for me, it, it was earlier, but like within the first three, four, five days, like their head's so broken open that they just want to run away. They just want to escape because it's, it's very intense to deal with only yourself and your thought patterns for that amount of time all day. Like for those people who are not familiar with Vipassana, like they ring the bell, they ring the like wake up alarm at 4 a.m. That's so early. You don't have to wake up this early. Like, there's no one there, like, at your door, like, watching you in terms of, like, your time. It's 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 time to get up now. There's no drill sergeant. No. <laughs> but your own conscious. You're like, right. your own conscience. How bad I you mean. want it. Yeah. Like, well, you are there for a particular reason. So, like, it's up to you if you want to really work hard or, like, just, like, take a vacation for 10 days. And you certainly can do both. Like... If you want, you can pay zero dollars and get all of the facilities for free. So if you just want to freeload, you can do that too. But like, what an opportunity to like really fix your your computer, really do like a, a, a defrag on like all of the shit that's been clogging you up for this long. And for like a lot of people, like that's that's what they set aside and that's what they're determined to do. So um, 4 a.m., they set the alarm most people with my experience don't really arrive to like five o'clock but like like you can have a shower and like get ready and then like walk into the meditation hall i think i think the breakfast is not served until like um maybe like six o'clock but with my experience if i didn't hop right up right out of bed at at the first like at the first like alarm that I would just go right back to sleep and um, and I wouldn't do anything until the breakfast. So, like, they ring the bell again 20 minutes later, like, okay, like, now you should be in meditation hall, but a lot of people aren't. But what you're supposed to do is meditate in your own room or in, like, the residential quarters, but especially in the morning, I think, in general, even when you're out of the Vipassana center, the morning time is always the best time because that is like the start, the intro of your whole day. And that will kind of be like the setting, like the wavelength that you'll be operating on for the rest of your day. So like it's the best, best time to meditate. And if you can meditate throughout the day, like so be it. I mean, everyone's ordinary day is so complicated and so and so congested with other things. But if you do in the morning, like, a little bit then like you're on the right path but um so yeah um i mean i could get into explaining more about the actual technique but um yeah um i, I want to actually kind of dive a little deeper into that because you you touched on a couple things there that i'm actually really intrigued by um one just talking about the breakfast and mm -hmm. i know that they serve a vegetarian diet Unless, except, unless you request, I think, poultry of some sort, right? Well, um, at the center I was at, which is um, the one that's not quite at merit anyways, but um, they serve all vegan food. They have, like, a bit of cheese and a bit of milk on the side if you want. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. um, so, the idea of meditating in the morning, uh, to like you said, to really set the tone for your day that's something that 
I've noticed that I have, uh, I've implemented that practice in a certain form. Uh, I've talked to you about it and I think I may have mentioned it on the podcast previously, Mm -hmm. but just, uh, writing in my journal every day. Mm -hmm. And so it's Mm -hmm. like, that's my form of meditation in the morning. Cause I'm just getting my thoughts out and I'm kind of, and I just, that's like the first thing I do. And I always find by the time I'm done that I'm wide awake, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm just so alert because I've already activated my brain in a certain way actively while getting this, these thoughts out. Yeah. You are breaking your fast with this, like this, like self like inquiry, but like a lot of times, like when you're writing in the journal, it's not about reading it later. It's just about getting it out on paper. That's like exactly it. Flowing. I never, I never go back and read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, another mm-hmm. thing that I wanted to kind of uh, get back to as well is you mentioned that when the bell rings, you kind of had to hop out of bed right away, or else do, you yeah. wouldn't get up, and you're kind of, you know, me uh, stuck yeah. there. And yeah, and so there's. A motivational speaker. I think she may be a doctor of some sort. Mm. I'm. Her name's Mel Robbins, and I had listened to her uh, talk, and she had kind of coined this idea or phrase, I guess. Uh, they, she calls it the five second rule, and um, so it's this idea that as humans, you know, we have these uh, neurological uh, ideas and pathways and our brain will get in, a, in the way of that a lot of the time. And so she calls it the five second rule where if she has an idea and she wants to do something and you can't, and sometimes like a lot of the times you'll think about it too much. And, you know, it's like if you're at the uh, cliff and, or like if you're, you know, wanting to jump into a river or a lake and, you know, you sit there and you think about it too much, mm-hmm. then you're kind of, you're more <laughs> off put to do it. Right. But she has this rule and she calls it the five second rule where you count five, four, three, two, one, and then you do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So what happens is you're interrupting your brain by counting to prevent yourself from thinking about doing it. And so, and she does exactly <laughs> that where she says she wakes up in the morning and she tries to set the tone of her day by counting five, four, three, two, one. And then she shoots up out of bed. And because she gets out of bed yeah. so quick, she's setting her tone for the day by being energetic and like moving forward. Yeah. And she's not allowing her brain to interrupt her by being like, no, I don't want to get up yet. I don't want to do this. Mm. And so I found it really interesting that you have discovered that on your own. Whereas a lot of people nowadays in modern times, like I didn't know about that. I didn't think about it until I saw her talk about it. And I heard yeah. her talk about it. So I think that's a perfect example of what Vipassana can do for you mm. is you did that self explore exploration and you kind of discovered it on your own. And so that's really cool. And I think that's a perfect example of how you can teach yourself. You can learn so much about yourself just by literally taking the time uh, as short as 10 days, which actually kind of sounds like a lot, but it's really not, you know, Mm. think about what you do in a week. Yeah. It comes and goes so fast, you know, like I can hardly remember what I did last week. It just comes right. And then before you know it, it's over. And so I think to take 10 days out of your schedule to do this and learn about yourself is like, it can just be so beneficial in so many ways. Yes. I think what she was doing is um, a really good, like, prelude to um, total spontaneity, like, just about being, like, completely spontaneous. Um, and uh, the in terms of the counting down from a five, like, that's 
that's like a good um, way to keep yourself distracted from like everything else that would be entering your brain in those five seconds. It's a good like lead up in terms of being completely intuitive. Like a lot of people have this intuitiveness naturally and like it's just something that's in their life path, like whether it's genetics or whether like it's something that they gathered while they were raised um, as a child. But um, like it, it seems like it would be something that um, that would help people that that aren't really too confident about making decisions in the moment. And like really that's kind of what Vipassana helps you with is is about kind of learning how to deal with the how to just be in the present moment because so many people in our modern age like we're I mean and really in any age we're obsessed with um the past and we're obsessed with the future in terms of like these bordering like um places to live in and to live in I mean like in our heads because that's where we do all of our living every day we're we're constantly reminiscing about the past and we're constantly trying to predict the future and sometimes these things are helpful and I mean helpful in the sense of making money or in terms of like remembering old loved ones and getting over them but um, um, Vipassana really tries if you are suffering if you're miserable if you are miserable because you're spending too much time in in either one of these um spaces um it helps you come out of them for a second for i mean if you're a good meditator you can meditate longer but it takes a long time to really meditate properly when like because your brain goes so crazy over this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that so it takes for me personally it took a long long time for me to really be present because of the constant crazy advertisements that we are we basically have to deal with just even walking or like if you were raised on watching a tv like that that kind of shit is already in your head like it just breaks your stream of consciousness right away so to really meditate and to to be present is like such a, a, a difficult thing for our modern men, men and women to like really do and practice. Yeah, I mean, there's so many uh, distractions in this day and everything moves so fast. You know, living here in the city, there's a constant stream of movement where everybody is moving from one place to another and it's really hard to navigate it peacefully you know you have to uh i think do exactly that you know do it very consciously and practice it to really stay at peace with it because you know like you said we're exposed to so much so often especially with uh advertisements i always think about the uh recent episode or I don't think it's very recent, but the South Park episode. Mm-hmm. Did you see that one with Butters or with Jimmy? And he's like the news editor. And they like how to tell like an ad from an ad. And it was like the little girl. And she was, she was an ad. 
me me and me and Jimmy actually ended up watching this episode of South Park while we had done uh multiple hits of LSD. Mm-hmm. And so it was so crazy and it was it, it really opened it up to really and now I, I constantly look for like uh, just when somebody's trying to sell me something or when something seems kind of like it's put in a place mm-hmm. unnaturally, you know, where or I'm trying to like where it's just, yeah. yeah, like it's it's got this weird spin on it, you know, and you can usually pick up on it. Yeah. And as but I think they're just getting so clever with it, with especially how often we're exposed to those kind of things mm-hmm. like in social media and yeah. the online presence. South Park, they have to be that clever and brilliant to cut through the bullshit. And they do that brilliantly. Like for, for anyone who like can handle their like s- silly drawings and s- and stuff, like you're, you're not looking at the big picture. Like they have really done like, a lot of intense discovery and now like they're trying to hand us the keys back to like our own thought patterns because everyone is consumed with like the news and media but like they're kind of like slipping us like the notes under the table under our desks like this is what reality really looks like you have to really be listening Matt Stone and Trey Parker. Yeah. Those are the guys. That's Those good. are the homies that you're slipping notes to in class. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. they're passing them to you. The and they're like, the world's and fucked up. The government's the teacher, you know? <laughs> like, there's like the, like the, mm. the, just like the overall, like seeing people who are trying mm. to like control it all. And they're like trying to make sure that you know about this yeah. stuff and know the answers. And it's funny because people don't look at that show that way. Even just the modality that they've chosen to teach, because really that's what they are. They're teachers. Absolutely. And when you think of your old high school teachers, using the same word doesn't really apply. But like how a lot of people really learn is through comedy, because when you're laughing at something, that's a really important thing to you. That's a really organic experience. When you're crying about something, that's also a kind of an orgasmic thing that's happening, happening that you can't stop. So when you're laughing about something, it's like a very deep imprint on yourself. So when you can teach and when you can learn through laughing, like that's something that you will remember. When you're trying to learn and remember things through repetition, yes, that does also help for certain individuals, but it's not something that will like maybe stay with you for your whole life. Like if you're laughing about something, if you think, if you think something is very hilarious and if you're learning it through south park this this type of these types of lessons will really stay with you i've learned from comedy so much especially in the past i would say six months uh it was right around the time i got into podcasting and i got really even in just just to listening to podcasts before we Mm -hmm. had even started one and I started listening to the Joe Rogan podcast mm-hmm. and I like watched some of his new specials and through that I was exposed to other comedians and that was when I, I really developed an appreciation for stand up mm-hmm. and uh, what comedy does mm-hmm. and how they teach because there's something that uh, sticks with you about comedy like you said when you're laughing like you'll remember that it, it always uh, I always think of another saying that kind of relates to this is 
the idea of make a girl laugh and and mm. you know she'll remember you right you know mm. and it's that idea of like funny guys can get girls you know it's just the idea that like if you can make someone laugh like they're gonna remember you because mm-hmm. they they remember you as uh not just a person but somebody who you know like you're wise or like mm-hmm. you know you're comical you're interesting to talk to or mm-hmm. whatever so there's something there to be drawn from and yeah. there's something some kind of energy about you that yeah. people will remember right because not everyone can let go and really that's what you're doing when you're laughing is you're letting go because you are not actively thinking okay i'm making one laugh a cycle now ha 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 that's not an articulated thing that's something that's happening completely organically just like an orgasm just like when you're crying you're not thinking about something like each cry cycle like each <laughs> like however you cry like when you're letting go at that extent at this organic natural state that like laughing and crying like humans are supposed to experience this like when a person can make you do that you're very vulnerable but when you're very vulnerable you're you're you are also very open and when you're open you can learn something that's when you can grow yeah mm-hmm. that's It's and that's I think a lot of the times even now uh, looking back you know I had I had even just expressed this to you earlier today it was like around you growing up I felt like I could be vulnerable around you Mm -hmm. because obviously like we just had a very close relationship and you know we grew up together and we kind of understood each other and in a way that even I couldn't be vulnerable like that around. you know, certain family members, you know, yeah. people people who are supposed to be, you know, when you think of family, you think of your blood, you think of the mm-hmm. people that you grow up with that you're closest to. Yeah. And, you know, that's why, you know, you are my family. Mm-hmm. I have friends who are my family. And that's because I can be vulnerable around you. And I feel like I can learn from you. And, you know, mm-hmm. going back to the, the school metaphor and the, uh, the South Park creators, mm. you know, being your friends who are slipping you notes in a class, I feel like I've, I mean, and it's hard to put that into a direct uh, context or a numerical value, but I feel like I've learned more from you in my lifetime than I ever did from my high school teachers mm-hmm. because of just like the knowledge that we've shared with each other over the years mm-hmm. and the time we've spent together and even just exploring each other as well as ourselves mm-hmm. together, right? Like we've done so much together in our, what, 20 years of friendship, yeah. you know? So it's, when you think of it like that, when you say it like that, it sounds intense. Like, <laughs> yeah. When you say 20 years in general, I mean, at least for us, like, we're not that old. But, like, when you look at a teacher, like, their job is to kind of make you efficient in, like, a certain, like, program. So, like, when we hang out and stuff, like, we're kind of being as, like, open as possible. So, like, we can kind of, like, understand ourselves, like, outside of the program that, that everyone is plugged into. But, um, like, it's it's also not the teacher's fault. Like, they're just trying to make money. And, and really, like, some teachers, like, I went back to John Barsby and I went to go talk to some of my old teachers. Well, actually, mainly one, my old English teacher. 
And Which teacher uh, was this? Miss Hadou. And like, she was always like the wackiest, weirdest kind of I teacher. I remember her. And that's why I, I liked her because, because she was so weird. And we talked about so many things. Did you have a certain kind of uh, relationship with her? Like, did you, yeah. besides the fact that she was uh, yeah. a little quirky, did you feel like you connected with her more than your other teachers? Yes. Like, she's always been the the, the individual that I went back and made contact with the, the few times that I did go back to my old high school. I just really resonated with her because, like, she could kind of tell me things that were off the program, like, off off the mic, off offline, like the things yeah, that like weren't like weren't on the itinerary that um, she could kind of speak to me too. And like I was also also asking her questions like like can you be this honest that you are with me with your new students? I'm like in this age of Trump, like can you tell your students these things? Like are is the high school like prohibiting you from like speaking like this to me? And it's just an interesting place that she's in to like just just the teachers of our new age are are um, like I find them very ins- inspiring to be warriors of culture because really each culture is warring with each other constantly in terms of this is how you should be that's how you should be and it's hard to like really be like someone who who fights those battles. Well, I think it's a really interesting time in our culture because we are going through a phase where times have changed so much in the past 40 years Mm. right where and you know you do have the teachers who our teachers are uh, responsible for teaching the youth of the future and so and times are changing so rapidly right now so you have teachers who as you said, are concerned with making money. You have <clears throat> teachers who come from a very different generation where they are very, you know, I guess just old school uh, <laughs> to put it in the most like general context uh, without getting too specific. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they just have very old fashioned um, ideas. Mm-hmm. And so now we're coming into a phase where everything is changing, you know, like in terms with uh, the political stances and mm-hmm. our economics and just the the countries that surround us are just changing so rapidly. Mm-hmm. And now the teachers mm-hmm. coming uh, that are starting to teach now, like I have a couple friends who are now teachers mm-hmm. and it feel that that seems like such a weird thing to me because yeah. I feel like I'm still a child mm-hmm. and for like someone my age to be, you know, it, it goes to the idea of like uh, a teenager having a baby. It's like, you're responsible for these lives, but you also within this system that our government has created, you only have a year mm-hmm. to try and influence this child so much. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, in a way, children can be the best teachers because they have less conditioning in terms of like what what you'll hear your young ones speak of. Like, it may seem like weird and like unusual to be like, yeah, you don't understand. You don't understand the real world. But when you hear these children say like this or that, like prophetic thing, like they're they're really saying that from like their 
their inner self unhampered, like unrestricted from like, oh, I should behave a certain way because I live in this city and people here in Canada, blah, 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 like we believe in a certain thing. So like, I've been kind of reading into this like sometimes and that's what certain types of meditation vipassana kind of teach you to be with like they help decondition yourself so in deconditioning it brings you back to that state of of like before you were conditioned and in that state that's that's where you were in your childhood like before your mom told you things that you believed in so like i'm sure your mom always told you things ever since you were a baby but like you can do anything you want you <laughs> shouldn't do that exactly <laughs> like <laughs> you know it's 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 weird because yeah that is the idea that your parents tell you that you can do anything you want to do because they want you to succeed naturally, right? But then also they tell you that you can't go down the road to play with your friends because there's no parent monitoring the situation. So you can't actually do anything you want. Mm. You can only do what your parents want you to do, mm. yes. which is weird. And so the deconditioning idea, which is really interesting because I've gone, I've practiced that a little bit mm. where I, I was reading a book it forced me to practice exactly that. It mm. came up with the idea that it's a creative self-help book. And so mm. the idea was that, you know, we're taught these things as children mm -hmm. and we carry those things into our lives as we become adults. But not all those things are necessarily uh, positive influences in how we live our lives now. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of start doing that self-exploration mm. to kind of like decondition those mm. things, which is... Uh, you know, sometimes it can be to do with ego. A lot of the times it can be to do with uh, what things your parents said. I'm actually really interested. I want to I want to tell you this mm -hmm. because you were a huge influence in my life as a child because mm -hmm. you were my best friend for so many years. Yes. And so you played guitar, you played instruments. And mm -hmm. so I naturally wanted to do that. I wanted mm -hmm. to do the things my friends wanted to do. I wanted to be culturally accepted. I mm -hmm. wanted to be cool to my <laughs> friends in my inner circle. <laughs> so <laughs> naturally that was something I wanted to do. I wanted to play the drums. So I asked my dad, dad, can I get a drum set? <laughs> and he said, you have to ask your mother. <laughs> so I asked my mother, mom, can I get a drum set? She said, no. The keepers of secrets. And the so mothers. I went back to my dad and, uh, because my mom said, no, it's too loud. <laughs> and so we lived in a pretty small place, as you know, yeah. Other people mm -hmm. might not know. Uh, so I went back to my dad and I said, Dad, mom said no for this reason. Mm -hmm. Can you help me build a soundproof shed <laughs> outside so that I can have a loud instrument mm -hmm. without bugging anybody? Mm -hmm. My dad said yes. Mm -hmm. But you have to go <laughs> ask your mother. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> I went back to my mom mm -hmm. and I said, Mom, can I build soundproof shed outside so I can have a drum set? And she said no. And mm -hmm. that was something that I carried with me for mm -hmm. many, many years. Mm -hmm. I started exploring these ideas of why, what, like, now I, I wouldn't say I'm a musician, but I am a professional within the music business. I You are a musician. A Stop being so modest. Okay. Well, I play instruments. Yes. I make music. I, I uh, produce. <laughs> I do things. Yes. Within mm. the yes, business. Yes, yes. Um, but I've always had this resistance that I've met with. You know, I have this like idea where it's like, 
I should, I should be working on something right now. I should be mm. making music, but I don't feel like it. And, mm. and there's mm. always this guilty feeling that I get that comes along with that. Mm. And so I started, uh, and I came to the idea that there was reasons for that. There was a reason that I felt this guilty feeling for not doing mm. something that I wanted. And I started exploring backwards mm. and, uh, I realized my mom was a part of that. Now Mm. I have like, I don't hold anything against her. Mm. You know, like it's, she's my mom. I love her to death. She's like the greatest person ever. But that was something that I had explored was she was a quote unquote monster from this resistance Mm. that I face on a daily basis because of something that she conditioned into me. Mm. And now you yourself were a monster in your own right and you were a champion in my life because you always were there for me and you always encouraged me to do things and uh try things and do better and but at the same time you also were the person that like i strive to be like i tried Mm. to do the things that you did and you were always I mean, it's. It, I guess it's not necessarily to say that you were always better than me, but like it was always like you did music, so I wanted to do music. Mm-hmm. And then over time, it like I found my own way to do things. But at the same time, like if I wanted to do something, you would tell me like you can do that. You you can try this, and you can uh, if you you know. And so you taught me that as well. Yeah. And so you. Uh, not that you were probably conscious of it. I mean, you're just a great person and you're, you know, super, um, you, you like to share wealth and you like to share knowledge and you uh, vibrate on the high frequency. And so I love you for that. But as children, I'm sure you weren't aware of it, but like there was like, I respected you. I held you up to a, a pedestal mm. in, in probably an unhealthy way. But so... Um, there and that's like now because of this like way that i have this childhood i now have met with this resistance and Mm -hmm. now um yeah so now i'm really excited to go and decondition that yeah and try and work on that because that's something that i've been working with for a long time is trying to decondition those ideas that i've developed from a child and now you know moving forward as i'm like really excited to deal with it well moving forward like you like you ex, like you have expounded on like a lot of times we have to move backwards in order to move forward and um yes like it's important to stay in the present moment but we're in the modernity and um like a lot of times we have to analyze the past in a certain way that is healthy like see everything that has been continually repeated like in our lives like like we're not learning from the lessons of our past. The same things happening over and over and over again. In each generation, we're dealing with the same problems. And um, it's just something that keeps coming up. And it will keep coming up until we really, as a collective society, learn how to like deal with. And, um, and also these negative things that happened in, happens that happen in life, like I had recognize when you had said something like a long time in your talk before I talked last like I was remembering certain things that you were saying and like trying to like re um trying to to bring them up again because they were important but I also didn't want myself continually like trying to to think of these things to like to uh to obstruct like the flow but I do want to say that um 
these negative aspects of life, they, they really teach each individual to like learn how to deal with ourselves because we can't ignore the shadow aspects of ourselves. Like it is a scientific fact that we exist, that we have a shadow. So don't pretend that the shadow does, does not exist. And the shadow means everything that is dark in your life, everything that is negative. And that means like anything you encounter in your day that like you're unhappy with, everything that you encounter in your day that like disrupts you. Disrupts you. And um, these aspects about yourself, Carl Jung used to speak about, you really have to learn how to integrate your shadow because it's a part of you. Naturally, because you exist, you, you have a shadow. I absolutely love that metaphor. Like, I love the way you described that because I've never even considered the shadow that way. But mm. that is something that uh, in recent months I've really realized is that to address a lot of the issues now, you have to go back and you have to kind of look at the past experiences that you've had because you know, like I said, like I kind of touched on before is a lot of people will try and find ways to deal with the pain, like currently, you know, or they'll try to numb it with, uh, you know, necessarily like narcotics or drugs or anything of that nature. Or even certain ideas can numb things if you get attached to certain ideas and you get trapped in like that idea and what that idea feeds you. Like maybe that idea makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Like I just mean the, I mean in the, the sense that people think that narcotics or this or that is like the only way that like you can get numbed. But certain people that don't take this and that drug can certainly be numb and certainly and certainly be high off of a certain idea or a religion that can really be something that like that can be addicting that can that control people's lives even more than any drug could like hope to control Ooh, you just you just <laughs> gave me a great segue mm -hmm. and uh this is what i'm excited about because mm -hmm. this gets into uh, some of the spiritual and religious conversation, uh, one that I'm excited to touch on. Mm -hmm. So there's the idea that you can get the high mm -hmm. from uh, these ideas. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because, you know, I, I was introduced to spirituality through religion. Mm -hmm. That was my introduction. And... I was introduced to it through this profound moment that I had. I had this introduction and I had this moment where I was like, I recognize this as something and I got a high from it. And mm -hmm. I was in love with it the moment mm -hmm. I hit it. Like it was just, it, I had this moment where I felt like the universe was speaking to me and there was no explanation from it. And I remember walking out of this building mm -hmm. at this moment and it was like, I relate it to being on MDMA mm -hmm. and where it was like I walked outside and the sun was shining and everything was super bright and it like very euphoric. Mm -hmm. And that was how I remember it. And I just thought that I remember having that moment and I was like, if this is what happens, like if this is what th this at the time, like this God can give me like, this is what I want. And it was the same as any drug high. It was mm -hmm. the idea of that. This 
person, this thing can give me what I want uh, because I, I almost like was addicted to it at that moment. And then it was through later exploration and very, it was only shortly after that, that I learned about that. I started uh, practicing yoga. And so I started exploring uh, myself more shortly after that, which was just a whole other experience. And it kind of gave me similar moments where I started to explore more inward and I stopped relying on an outer source and realized that I am that source. I have the power within myself to bring on these moments Mm -hmm. through self-exploration and through uh, acknowledgement and empowerment. The inner source is the only source. Otherwise, you're just faking it. Just to be transparent with everybody, we just took a quick little break. We had to go to the bathroom. A human break because humans pee, right? Yes, that is a natural human bodily function. And like, why hold that back? Because like, if you hold shit back, what's happening when you hold shit back? Like, what's happening to you? No, you can't fight (laughs) life. You can't meet resistance with resistance you got to understand it you got to accept it and just kind of go with it but john i've got i'm gonna ask you a question now this is the only traditional roots of life question that i'm gonna ask you tonight yes and i might inform you a little bit on it after i pose the question just to give you a little bit of insight Mm -hmm. to uh the kind of answer that we look for but john I want to know what tickles your fancy. What tickles my fancy? La libertad. Well, like, actually, that's impossible is to know the truth. But uh, what, what tickles my, fan- my fancy? Do you, do you want a little bit of context or do you feel comfortable with answering the question as is? I feel comfortable answering the question as is because it's such a broad question and you posed it to me on such a live and local and interactive uh, form. So, um, I would assume that the question means right now, like, in terms of what tickles my fancy right now, I'm going to say letting go. Because letting go allows, allows me to really be in, like, a state that, like, that I can express myself or organically. And, um, if you want something more specific... Maybe I say, um, <laughs> maybe I say hiking a trail out in the mountains of like North Vancouver. And in terms of letting go, like I'm out, maybe if I've hiked for a few hours, I'm away from like a lot of tourists and pedestrians. So I'm in a, a very calm state where I can not be thinking about what they think of me or like the people passing by. Like, I can only be thinking about what's inside, but then at a state, you're only observing what is outside. And in this unadulterated state of non-human contact, you can just look at nature and not think. Now, think about that for a second before you don't think, which is an intense proposition. (laughs) I know. You're challenging the listeners, John. Wow. Like, a lot of people, like... Henry David Thoreau, like he can 
His meditation was not Eastern. It it was not some Indian thing that he handed, that he like absorbed. Like yes, he read about the East, but he did not adopt this himself. His meditation was observing nature, and just simply observing it. And like he could get his meditation high. We spoke of this earlier by just observing two different kinds of species of ants warring destroying each other he watched this i'm like imagining him like his head zoomed into these ants just like killing each other just killing each other but like them being such a small thing unlike he's a human he's large like he doesn't know what's happening until he moves his head a few inches like a above these ants i imagine the uh the idea of a child with an ant farm watching the ants roam around with like he's watching them with a magnifying glass Mm -hmm. which is the same kind of metaphor that people apply to uh god with us right is there's some over uh overpower overlord kind of uh monitoring us who is kind of you know uh being the puppet master as just watching us and kind of controlling every situation, thinking that he knows uh, the power, you know. But um, no, you hit that so perfect on the head with <laughs> a tickled fancy because that that's a question we like to ask on the Roots of Life podcast because people, you know, we just, we like to try, we try and enlighten people and just uh spread knowledge and spread wealth a little bit and so instead of talking about negative things and putting things in associating with negative connotations we like to uh just talk about things that we like and because it just put them in a positive light right and so we ask that question and hiking like that's such a great one and Jimmy likes to hike quite a bit. And so he does short and simple hikes. You know, he'll go hiking for a few hours. He's not uh, the type of person to hike overnight and do, uh, I think, strenuous six-hour, 12-hour hikes. But he'll do – my understanding of uh, Jimmy's hiking practice is he does, uh, you know, short – maybe one or two hour hikes kind of thing but and that's a good place to start no it is and i don't think you i don't even think you have to start there like i think Mm. you you don't even have to expand on that right but taking that time out of your day to uh minimize the noise immerse yourself in something else yeah absolutely so it's a good start we've we've touched on that multiple times like he Mm -hmm. i think one of jimmy's tickled fancies one time was (laughs) that's such a weird term (laughs) i know and that was why why we coined it that way was because good it it, it just makes people feel weird what's something that you like Mm -hmm. you know it was too broad what's something yeah it was (laughs) It's just something that, yeah, we were able to put in that uh, form, which kind of, it, it's recognizable, which as to what it actually means, but it, it, it's interesting enough <laughs> that it kind of catches your ear every time. Mm. But I think one time Jimmy's was the sunshine on a mountainside, mm-hmm. which was comes directly. And my, another one of mine was like a fresh I powder like day on the side of a mountain. I like, right? like those a sunny both. powder day. I definitely, I definitely like those both. I can visualize them now. As you spoke of each one, they each 
They each created an image in my head. And really that's how we deal with every problem in our life is like an image in our head. Even relationships that we have, we're not really dealing, we are not really dealing with people like your love relationship. We're dealing with an image in our head. And that's some... Of what the relationship should be or what it should look like? Is that what you're kind of referring to? Well, I mean, each person each, each person is different. So basically what I'm saying is some Krishnamurti shit. An image in our head is just something that's unavoidable. That we all, like... We confront the image before we confront the real thing is what I'm saying. Oh, so we should not judge a book by its cover. Um, Are you saying that it's a natural human tendency to do so? It's something that we should be aware of, that we're not confronting the real book. We're confronting our image of the book before we even have a look at the book, which will, which will inflict our reading of the book if we always have this idea of like what it should be, of like what the image is before we even have had a look at the book. No, and I think that's kind of exactly what the uh the phrase explains is you know if if i put an expectation on what i'm expecting from vipassana you know i might get a completely different thing like if my expectation might actually influence what i think of the experience which might not necessarily be a good thing you know, I should actually go into it with an open mind, not judging the book by its cover mm -hmm. or what other people like yourself or my other colleagues and peers have experienced from that practice. Mm -hmm. It's unavoidable. It's a human like reflex. But as long as we do these things, we're aware of them because so many things we do in life are unconscious is also okay it's the human experience but if we're aware of like these things that we do unconsciously even if we're doing them even if they are negatively affecting our lives if we are if we are aware of them at least we can put them in a place sitting in the mix in a in a position that we are understanding how they affect the rest of the mix how they are affecting the whole composition in its entirety, we can learn how to, in certain songs and certain tracks of our life, how we can learn how they really fit into the composition and how maybe in certain songs of our life, our lives, how they can sit higher up in the mix and how they can be more of an instrumental thing. I maybe took this... God damn. Too far. No, I <laughs> love shit. I love the musical metaphor in that situation because you know how much I put those how yeah. much I apply those to my life. Yeah. I mean, when I think of my life and uh just the scenarios that I put myself in and the experiences that I live with, I so often I uh quote the teachers that I've had and the mentors that I have within the music business, because I've had a lot of people that I've learned from and think people that have taught me things. And so, and when you surround yourself with people who speak in those terms, you naturally start to, uh, I guess, reiterate some of those things. And that's exactly what I've done. So I love, uh, <laughs> some of the quotes that you threw in there and some yes. of the, uh, I guess, puns and metaphors and yeah, like similes and all that kind of jazz. 
With anyone I'm speaking to, I try and speak in their language. Like, yes, we're both speaking English. We are both. We are both. Okay, I have some raw cacao in my mouth, so there's like some more kind of jumbled in the English that I'm trying to speak. English, England. So, so <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. stop you. Uh -huh. We're gonna divert a little bit. Let's divert. Let's divert. Tell people, John, why why do you eat raw cacao? What what is what are some of the uh, I guess <laughs> negative parts of it? What are some of the positive benefits? What like what what is it for the people that aren't familiar? Because there are people listening who don't know. So share with them what it is and why it is that you are digesting it. So this is what a raw cacao package might sound like. I'm sure that sounds great in a microphone. I'm sure that sounds terrible. Like I'm sure it that probably does. I, I'm sure that made the mic clip. Um, so raw cacao just basically means there's no sugar in it. It means like it's unadulterated, like plant form, just being grinded and compressed. But like in terms of a, a daily practice, like if you're if you're like unable to work with yourself and you need some guidance, work with um, something that has psilocybe. And I'm saying psilocybe because I'm in Canada. And really, I've learned that like the the age-old Canadian accent pronounces it as psilocybe. But for those who listen to a lot of American speakers, it's psilocybe. Psilocybin. And um, so, in in conjunction, cacao really works well with the psilocybin. And um, it's an amazing antioxidant on its own. But like with psilocybin, it really helps to potentiate its um, its its capabilities. So um, a, a lot of times I will fast and only eat raw cacao. And um, I just really... Um, what kind of fasting do you do? Do you mm. uh, fast for... A certain amount of hours a day? Do you fast for entire days at a time with only consuming water? Do you consume tea on your fasts? Yeah, like like this is this is an interesting question because I'm sure if you looked up fasting, there's on, many different ways to fast. Yeah, like I'm sure if you look up if you looked up fasting on Wikipedia, you would find many things that like that 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 describes fasting as a certain way. But I guess when I describe fasting, I describe like I and in a way, okay, I'm going to get a bit sidetracked. I was speaking with this one server today in Vancouver and I was like, what is with this word fasting? Like, I don't understand the, the etymology of this word. I don't understand where this word where this word comes from. What does fasting mean? Like, why is it called fast? Why does it not mean slow? Because oftentimes when you're fasting, it's not a f something that's very intense. It's something that's kind of dragging on that seems a little bit slow. I'm going to take a shot in the dark. Mm -hmm. I'm going to suggest that when you don't, when you slow down your digest digestive system, it fasts everything else. If it <laughs> speeds up everything else, I like but that. I'm yeah. expecting that you're going to give me a different answer <laughs> and probably a more accurate answer, no, or to I, what to what your guess and your hypothesis is. Yeah, like accurate is is interesting because that that only means that it's like acute to you. Like when you say the word accurate, like are you talking about humanity, or are you, or are you speaking about yourself? So it 
it, at least with cacao, like when I fast, I like to eat nothing in the morning, afternoon, only eat like a bit of cacao. A bit of cacao here and there to like give my body something, but and like of course like I'm not, I I, I, I do not do the the Ramadan which is intense, to not eat or drink anything for the whole day, especially in like very hot climates in, in, yeah. But um, so to ask me such a broad question like what. What fasting means to me is just like taking out an instrumental part of your daily life. So like just take out something that seems intense for you to leave behind. So like I usually eat eggs in the morning. I usually maybe I drink milk and cereal. So like take out all of that and like notice your body and how it reacts. Notice how... Your stomach kind of does like a, like maybe a little rumbling and then like it's like, well, what is this rumbling? Okay, well, like it it makes me feel weird because I haven't eaten yet. But like, okay, weirdness is like maybe something I'm into, maybe something I'm not used to. But like, what is this? Okay, like after an hour, two hours, I feel like a bit more weird. Like, okay, because it's been so long since I've eaten eggs or so long since I've eaten anything. But like, in general, in life, just observe these things in a detached sense. So this is like nearly impossible for certain people to do this because we have so much weight behind us. And by weight behind us, I mean like, the heaviness of the past. So, yes, inherently this is something that we carry with us. Well, I think it's super common now and it's becoming even more apparent and just even more common, I guess, that mm -hmm. uh, with social media being so present, so prevalent in our lives, you people, people are so quick to share the positive things in their life because to the outside world, they want their lives to seem so perfect and they want everybody to think like, I live this great life and this is my thing. And I definitely struggle with that as well. I'm not oblivious to the fact that I am, I fall under that category, you know, like uh, I had a conversation with someone recently and because uh, mm -hmm. I'm currently trying to rent out one of the rooms in my uh, suite and a girl came to look and she said to me, she was like, wow, like you have your life so together because, and I looked at her and I was like, what? Like, I feel like I struggle on a daily basis, but to the outside world, it seems like I have my life so together. And in, with the online presence, that's definitely, I think the picture that I might try to, uh, show is, you know, like, this is what I, uh, this is the life I live. And with, so that's not always accurate. Not at all. No, I think people are quick to show the things that they like. And why not? Because like, that's the first things that we want to put up in the mix in life is the things that we like. And like the other things can rumble in, in behind in the mix. But like in general, like that distortion that like whatever that is behind in the mix will kind of like disturb the continuity of what you're trying to project.
It's interesting how your brain can only hold so much information at one point. We're like, we're constantly a moving stream that always has new water in it. Like what Heraclitus said, what the Buddha said, which they are two human beings that were contemporaneous, sorry, contemporaneous, exactly like Lao Tzu. These people all spoke of the same thing. And um, it's all the same natural truth that they discovered in life that was lost i mean lost to the common person but now it's like we look back to these people and really find the truth that like still arises in every person every culture the same truth comes out it's like not one person or culture is really gifted with the the truth it's just in all of us but for some reason it decides to come and speak in certain people in certain cultures at certain times well i think that's where you have to uh, constantly readjust, you know, people, I think we kind of touched on it earlier where, you know, we, we have these conditions that we're brought up with and it's, it's hard to throw those aside and cast them away because as soon as you start talking about, uh, things that you believe in, or if somebody starts attacking those things, I like to think of it as, uh, our brains are like computers. We can only hold so much information. And once in a while you have to delete things and throw them in the trash bin and get rid of them mm. because because mm. there's only so much memory in there and you can only remember so much yeah and so once in a while you have to try and decondition those but it's hard to do right because we become attached <laughs> to those things right fuck man like when you say that shit i think of anton lemieux like he did like a crazy comedy skit and like he explained this shit like i gotta move this to the recycle bin but then after the, like in his mind like I, I i just have to remove this thought pattern that's like not beneficial for me into the recycle bin but oh wait i have to empty the recycle bin i have i have to i have to delete the history of my mind i said and uh, th then I thought, like, I'm not really human anymore because we're running on these other metaphors that we've just been brought up with. But, uh, like, I don't know. It, it was just powerful to hear you say that, and I had to cut you off from your stream of consciousness. I appreciate you acknowledging it because, you know, these are all things that I... These ideas that I am conditioned with, uh, I don't know where I necessarily developed these ideas. It's just through different people and different teachers in my life and I'm very grateful for all of them and uh, just the things that they've all taught me and the path that I've been led on through the surrounding environment that I've been blessed with in my life and that's you included. So I appreciate uh, you just even chiming in and you know getting your thoughts in there because that's that's what this is all about this conversation it's about interaction it's about close friends just you know diving into our thought process and you know because i've said it so many times like we've just we've grown up to with each other we've influenced each other and it's interesting because i i feel like with us there's such there's such a duality like i am like if you if you from an outside perspective if you didn't know us and you saw us standing next to each other if you if you just put us in a picture next to each other hmm. from an outside perspective somebody who didn't know us and you looked at us would we look like friends hypothetically 
Like if, if just from our appearance, like the way we dress, the way our hair is, our would we look like friends? What 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 is your thought? Well, first we'll have to address the word that you the word that you've used hypothetically. We'd have to analyze that word, and in understanding maybe like what you proposed is like culturally, do we same from do, do we come from the same cultural ecosystem? So, and people often think like, well, like, you definitely don't look like you come from the same part of the forest, the same part of the ocean. Like, if we were comparing certain animals, like, okay, I think you come from Australia. No, like, like, like... (laughs) Your accent is weird, or you have too fair of a skin to come from this place specifically. Crazy as... Crazy as gorillas do not live in Australia, you ain't anything alike. But really, when you trace back, we're all part of the same, like, organism of life. Maybe that gorilla evolved, and maybe it swam over the ocean (laughs) to get there, you know? (laughs) Duality is just kind of the nature of reality in, like, every aspect of life. But, uh, I mean, I think... um, we're all backs and fronts to each other, like as Alan Watts used to always expound how he continues to explain, like even though he is dead, even though he described in his many, many um, audio tapes, even though he now died of alcoholism, or he did die of alcohol, alcoholism, um, that... Um, I only understand myself through understanding you. If I only understood myself, if uh, I only, like, could get things through my own perspective, like, it would be kind of narrow. Like, like I'm only one small slice of the world. And because uh, we're so different um, is the only reason why I can understand myself is because I look at how incredibly inspiring you've been in in my life because like we don't all the time think alike but like if we all thought alike like how boring and like simplistic would this world be because me and you are so different in many ways is the only way that I can understand where I fit in this world is because I have such an opposite mountain to look at yes there's a valley in between us but like if we were all on the same mountain like like that would be a very boring world to me as i try to imagine it because you are way the heck over there i can see everything that separates us and understand the foliage understand the biodiversity that separates us that's where i think that the greatest metaphor for yin and yang were two completely polar opposites, but within doing so, we complement each other so well. Mm-hmm. How how good has this conversation been? Mm-hmm. How interesting has this been just to sit down and talk for X amount of time where we haven't talked much really for months mm-hmm. and months and months. Mm-hmm. Because you've been off on this whole other uh, 
exploratory journey and i i've just been so excited for you uh being on that journey <laughs> mm-hmm. which is something that we haven't even really uh even touched a- addressed on yet. here and i would love to open no, up about and that it. was kind of where i i was trying to get to i think in the very beginning when yeah. i asked you about vipassana, vipassana and yeah. then i was gonna try and like push yeah. into that direction but obviously like and this is what i mean is good we, it, we, it it needs to flow in other directions because like that initial like intention that's you wanting it to go in a certain way that you predicted that you like wanted it wanted it to go in at the beginning but look about like how what we have spoken about that was like totally out of like what we predicted that wouldn't have happened i mean any other way and that's the metaphor for life is you you can't you can't try and resist those things. You can't be like, that's not what I want. Mm. So I'm going to fight that with everything. Like if you kind of accept it for what it is and try and like kind of work with it, you know, it's hard to swim upstream. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. that that you're going to get tired and that's just a, the way it is. Like you could try and be the, you could try and be, uh, what's not Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong is the biker. Who's the <laughs> other guy, the swimmer? He's another Armstrong. I can't I can't remember his name anyways. In general, even if your arms are strong, swimming up the stream is You're getting kind tired. Of, well, like it's also against the law of nature. Like, yes, it will make you more powerful, more like intuitive about how to deal with life's problems, but like where is this stream going? Like is it is it going to your death? Yes, every person's stream is going towards their death. But what happens after that, though? But like heading heading towards this is like the point. I almost, in a way, see swimming upstream is like focusing on the past mm. because that's something that like everyone is trolled and locked into. But like, go with the stream, and you can still. You can, st- you can still swim side to side. Yeah, right. You can still if you want, if you want to get to the land on the left side or the west side of the stream, mm-hmm. you can get there. But instead of swimming up the stream and trying to go, say, like north, like hypothetically northwest, mm-hmm. go southwest. You're gonna get to the west side of the stream much faster. Mm-hmm. And then, if you want, when you get to that point, you can take a break. Mm-hmm. And then, if you want to get to the east side of the river. You can, you can do that as well. It's like, I want to be honest about flow. We've been talking about like taking a break, being like intuitive and like flowing. Like what's more like intuitive and like more like natural than like our own humanly bodily cycle. So to be honest again about something else is like, yeah, like I needed to fucking pee really bad. So like that was kind of disrupting how I was like speaking, like I was trying to trying to signal to my friend like yo like yeah like i just said something i wanted to but like whenever you're done talking like i really gotta go pee because like that was kind of like disrupting like what and it felt so good yeah like that that release we were talking about swimming upstream so in like a way like everything i was saying was like in the in the jittery like shaking back and forth like okay like come on come on like okay okay what do you gotta say i just gotta go pee okay hold are on, you hold saying on, you were on. getting annoyed of me talking no i was just like yo like yo like yo like nature calls so what nature is calling is like a one-way stream and 
the one-way stream doesn't necessarily have to be urine. It can be like, right now I am organically wanting to speak about a certain thing. I am like organically wanting to freestyle on a mic. It's that release or that relief of, you know, you're swimming upstream. You're fighting it because you don't want, like in this situation, you don't want to be rude. You don't want to cut me off. Uh, from saying what I was saying, but then that relief of when you got to walk out of the room and go to the bathroom mm. and let it go. Imagine that feeling of like you're in a job and you're working this job that you fucking hate. You're swimming upstream just to stay yeah. alive. Mm. And the second you quit that job and you don't have to work there anymore and you start swimming downstream and you're going with mm. the flow, mm. the relief like just like the, even like in your muscles, like the tension, the stress that just gets released in that moment when you start going downstream and you're kind of like accepting uh, the situation for what it is. Mm -hmm. Like how much is that just going to improve your life? It's like a lot of times, like in certain techniques, like v like vipassana, like they can be the raft, like the raft in the stream that helps you flow continuously with everything that is going in the same direction and um like yes so people can flow without these techniques and it can work for a certain time but most people in our world are unconscious of like what they're doing like like well, they know they're moving towards money and and like a goal or even like a family like and yeah like that's actually an amazing goal an amazing mission is to be like raising a family and like trying to raise the next generation and that's that's like moving in somewhat of like an organic goal but do you think that's what everybody's meant to do because i think that's as a like as a species that's naturally what we're taught is that our brains are meant to procreate or you know and like fight to do so right mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of what our society has taught us is go to school, go to college, get a job, behave a certain way, find a wife, have kids, buy a house and die doing so. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think, you know, you had touched on the idea of the raft uh, in the river and it's important to know that everybody discovers different tools along the way of their physical journey to survive that river because that mm. river can have a lot of rocks it can have some pretty intense waves and it can knock you off that raft pretty hard at times yeah so like, you need to develop the tools to help you survive it not everyone can survive without a raft and it's even like I don't think anybody can. And it's even like not saying that one raft, like, okay, like my raft, yo, Christianity, like this raft is like the raft. Anyone who is in the Muslim raft, anyone who is in the Jewish raft, anyone who is in the Sikh raft, like that raft is poverty. And, and by that I'm describing is like this raft is the only raft I've ever been in. So any other raft, I'm sure, is, like, not very good. I'm sure that this raft will not work because I've only ever known one raft, and this raft has worked for me. 
So I'm basically like explaining that like this is something that applies to everyone, but we're so we're so incredibly different that like how could this thing describe us all? But to go down this metaphor even farther, it's amazing how well this metaphor is working right now. But just imagine this the scenario of you're going down a river and you're on a raft and shit's getting really crazy and you're going down and there's rocks and you're scared of what's to come and there's a person on another raft a few feet over and the raft is uh maybe it's not bigger maybe it's not better but it's maybe uh shaped differently or maybe it's constructed of a different material and and all of a sudden these people are reaching your hand out to you and they're saying listen like you know we can help you because maybe uh, you feel alone on this raft, right? It's your whatever. And all of a sudden, but you have that instinct of this is the only raft that I've ever known. This is the mm. only raft I've ever been on. And I'm scared to jump. Mm. But these people are offering you help. They can essentially, you know, not necessarily save you, but they can, they're offering you a hand and, you know, to, ignore that kind of help or ignore the acknowledgement that is there can be detrimental to your own uh health and to your own personal growth and to your own mm. well-being in general looking at the different kinds of rafts will help you understand the river because every raft will handle the waves in a different way just like architects look at the different kinds of skyscrapers that kind of handle the space and the sky and like the environmental conditions of like the place where they're rooted in a different way like if we are so isolated that all we can understand is ourselves yes that's important to understand ourselves but like if we don't kind of branch out and root in other areas and understand how other people can like express themselves and like we're living in a very in a very narrow aspect in a very narrow life that really can't give us the full picture the full picture which will hurt our lives in the the long run did it will only make us um be very very biased on like what the true potentiality of the world can be john i have a question for you this is the roots of life podcast this is going to be an episode that gets released while i am at a 10-day silent retreat we we've kind of planned things a certain way J jimmy mm -hmm. I, I i refer to him as james on the podcast and i i most of the time, I don't know if people recognize it when I call him James or Jimmy. Mm. Uh, I know a couple of people have mentioned things mm. in that way where I refer to him as multiple different names. But James recently did an interview or a podcast or a conversation. I think this is more of a conversation than an interview, really. I'm not drilling you with questions, trying to get mm. information out of you. But James had an interview sorry again a mm -hmm. conversation i actually haven't listened yeah. to it so i don't know uh kind of what uh context it sits in but he did a podcast with a man named im mm. i think his full name is im imtiaz mm -hmm. imtiaz uh i could be saying that wrong but 
This is a man who has multiple degrees through universities. Uh, I'm not sure if they're all in Canada or if they're across different uh, educational facilities throughout the world. Mm. But he has, uh, my understanding is he's been in uh, correctional facilities internationally Mm. and has very interesting life experiences. What a place what a place to learn. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like where you think that things might be coming to an end and mm. you come out of that and it's, you think you're just you're just going to be stronger at the end of that. It's the beginning for for many people like these people who are in the ends of their lives like and when I say that I mean like like the ordinary life that all of us live in this um, constructed life, they have thrown them into this prison, like this walled um, existence. And like this end has really brought about like something else, like an opportunity not to like continue their lives like in the same four walls and to like die and fade and and to rot away. Like it's interesting to look at certain so. Um, certain so uh, certain societies is what I'm trying to say that like offer something more to people in prison like in Brazil like they offer people ayahuasca in prison in prison really yes and wow like, these that's these, so fascinating it's 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 very it's a very intense subject to discuss because like some of the the victims like some of the people's um like the the daughter of this rape or like the parent of that murder they see these inmates in Brazil they see these inmates working with ayahuasca which is kind of something that a lot of people only do if they're moderately wealthy like moderately wealthy in our western society is quite a big thing for like people in Brazil like it's not the same term I just used moderately wealthy um, to to the point that they have enough disposable income that they can afford something like this. So these people in Brazil, like that, have like I've I've read stories about individuals in prison who have raped and killed um, people, and they get to work with ayahuasca. And uh, the fathers and the parents of these individuals. They hear about, oh, there's this new test project, there's this new study project where where these inmates, they were getting to work with plant medicine, hopefully trying to come out of what they've been dealing with. What they've been dealing with has like caused them to kill this person and that person they have and like it's such an intense thing. So these people that have been really affected by this by this by this intensity say like this isn't right like okay like you fucking killed my daughter and you're getting and you are getting a chance to like um work with ayahuasca to heal yourself like you should be in fucking prison for the rest of your life you shouldn't have any anything you you should be trapped and and imprisoned like period ayahuasca fuck no i want to do ayahuasca like why why are you getting this opportunity to like to grow so i have a question for you 
would you compare that scenario or I guess uh, the way that some people look at ayahuasca down in the in cultures down in South America to how our cultures are currently looking at uh, psychedelic studies and studies are based around MDMA. How are the modern and urbanized people looking at ayahuasca? Like, do they understand it? Are they as uh, informed about it as the natives and the... Because, um, you know, the way you're talking about it is these these people are getting a new chance at life. And with your experiences, are those people becoming, quote-unquote, cured of their, I guess, illnesses, their their psyche that they've been battling with that caused them to kill these people in the way Mm. that, say, like, people are being treated with PTSD by using MDMA and certain Mm. psychedelics in Western culture? Like, really, we are just giving these people another chance. and uh, But this chance is just simply that, like a chance. It's not something scientifically proven, like an algorithm. Like, if we insert this person with that chemical, that chemical being dimethyltryptamine infused with, like, an MAOI inhibitor, or, like, MAO inhibitor, um, that they will... in like that they will encounter this reaction that will help them like it's what i am trying to say is something that works for someone this plant medicine will not work for all but certain people see these the criminals working with ayahuasca and they think that they're getting treated they treated like i say the word treat because it it, it seems like something that's special it seems like something that that's delicious it's like we're rewarding them with like something that's very expensive for like other people it is though but, in a sense but like really to be compassionate to be like the buddha like imagine if someone killed a child of the buddha not like he would have any any children and when i speak of this man i'm speaking of gotama in in india so he would completely have non-attachment and he would understand that like yes you killed someone who was close to me but i want to heal you in whatever way possible and um if if this is the modality that will help you heal like yes it might be a treat it it might be something that's like expensive but like i want you to heal in whatever way that's necessary so do you think that the urban population should be more compassionate towards the inmates of the correctional system because i mean i understand i understand they should be more compassionate but like you can say that but like imagine if you had a child if you grew something if you grew a person out of yourself and like a loved one like your wife, your anyone, something that meant someone who meant a lot to you. And then this person was growing, it was living, you were teaching her, him, everything that was important to you to like try to install, like try to download into this person so that that person could experience that. 
that person could live that and then continue it out and teach other people. If you were trying to grow this person and then this person was taking a, taken away from you, this person was destroyed. And by the word destroyed, I mean like these sick people, these people who have really been polluted by our modern age, really like fucked up these people. The culture that they grew up in, right? They've been taught things that uh, to us don't seem right. They don't seem proper. They don't seem appropriate in any way, shape or form. And they've been, you know, just morally distraught. But then these people attacking this only thing that you have held and cherished and loved in your life, like this this new being that you've brought into your life, as we've been describing. So in me trying to capture this, I'm trying to be as empathetic as I can. I'm trying to imagine these Brazilian parents these Brazilian parents who have had these children, who have had them violated and in a lot of cases killed, raped, whatever. Like the worst things that you can imagine have happened to these young young children of the next young children of the next generation. And then how they feel about these inmates like trying to get healed. Like, yes, I can look at it from the perspective I'm in, but I cannot even get close to imagining what they've been through. I couldn't imagine uh, giving birth to an offspring and then imagine that being taken away from you, which is an interesting concept in itself, imagining that just because you give life to something, you know, you almost claim it as your own. Mm, attachment. Uh, yeah, I, I understand that, Completely. you know, you, you love it, but it's uh, it's an interesting idea within itself just to, you know, the idea that I've given life to you, so now you are mine, mm. right? Mm. Just like, yeah, I understand that parents, you know, like my mom gave life to me, and so I, I am hers in, in a right but I am also my own person. She has given birth to conscience. She has given birth to me, and I am my own person. But within her mind, in her world, I am hers. Hmm. Right? So I can I, I can't I don't have kids. I don't have anything besides, you know, really physical things uh, that I really claim to be mine. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a girlfriend. And I love her dearly, and I appreciate her for everything she does for me. Mm. And I try to, I try my best to reciprocate that by uh, displaying my affection for her because she does it so well for me. Mm. But I don't claim her as my own because she's not mine. Ultimately, she can do what she wants. She's her own person. Mm. She has her own conscience and she can show affection and love to whoever she desires Mm. at that point in time in her life. And I think that's important to recognize. Yeah. And even that same concept can be applied to ideas like like this idea I had is mine. Like this way of life is mine. Patterns. And yeah, like that especially. But like in 
even just in our own heads without demonetizing anything like we get so attached to like this is the way I think things are and like these things become so dear and so sacred to ourselves and we like kind of believe that like that's how the rest of the world should operate and how the rest of the world should think and um like withholding like a relationship that that close like you're really kind of setting yourself up for a failure because you're so invested in like a particular way in a particular person that like you're giving up everything like every part of yourself like which can possibly be very rewarding for this person because like you have this other love of yours like investing everything in them i guess it's very in the short term like fulfilling maybe because like they're obsessed about you but like that person is like kind of consumed in a way that like isn't ultimately healthy for like their own well-being well i feel that sometimes people do things you know i may do something right now because i feel like it's the best thing for you mm. But really, it's only for my own gratification, you know. And so, so it's hard to differentiate the two, especially when you've uh, convinced yourself that you're doing it for the other person. But I want to I wanna ask you a question, John. Mm-hmm. And it may be a hard one to answer. Maybe it won't be. But nonetheless, I want to ask you, what if, if you had one thing... To tell the listeners out there, if you had one piece of advice that you could give somebody out there to improve their lives or something that they could implement in their lives to try and somehow improve it, what would you tell the people listening to this podcast right now? (laughs) Now, that's such a crazy and broad question. Just one thing, anything, any one thing. I know the question that that you are proposing and it's like people are so different and people are so broad. It's like just just with introducing a question like that, I can be like, yo, Vipassana worked for me. Yo, this plant medicine worked for me. Or like that plant medicine taught me this thing. Blah, 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 blah. And it's, I can't like be the doctor that prescribes like a certain thing so I guess in what I'm explaining it already like in the absence of like explains like what I'm trying to get at but um like really I kind of deal better answering more specific questions about like reality well (laughs) I think you already answered it the Mm. first thing that you drove to was Vipassana which I think is just a form of Mm -hmm. self-growth. It's an opportunity to look inward and focus on yourself. Mm -hmm. It's literally taking that week or that 10 days, uh, which they've kind of done through their own research as the minimum that it kind of requires to really inflict self-change. Over thousands of people who have actually worked through this program, they've really had a good opportunity to deal with every personal archetype, like every every person like kind of exhibits a different trait 
and like after dealing with thousands of people they get a pretty good map of like the human genome so john mm -hmm. if i was to reiterate my question mm -hmm. what would you answer so i guess um if i was looking at the whole human experience and if I really was pressured into answering this question, <laughs> pressured into answering this question now, like I would, I guess, begin with the generality of something that, oddly enough, Jesus Christ would say, know thyself. So something like this actually applies. Like this man, if he did actually exist, he was hitting on something that really every major religion was hitting on themselves. But because of the landscape that me and you have grown up in, this is something that is like more apparent than, than other things like, oh, well, Jesus is Lord, the only Lord. Like he was just one kind of manifestation of like the divine, something that we all have inside of us. He was, so, he was one path up the mountain. Yeah, exactly. All of these religions are trying to climb the same mountain. But for some reason, some religions say that, that like, my path is the only way. Like, like, why the hell are you trying to climb up that way? Why the hell are you trying to climb through those woods or over that river? That's impossible. I like that river. It looks really pretty. And even if you climb over that river, that river, yes, you will get wet. Yes, it'll, it, it might almost cause you to die. But what are you going to learn in the process? And um, what I'm trying to say is uh, however you are able to learn about yourself, whether it be vipassana or through psychedelic or through just even writing a journal every morning, because writing a journal every morning will kind of cause you to be aware of, of all of your thought patterns. Even if you're not looking over the journal, if you're writing it every morning, even if you're flowing, you're going to start to realize how you operate. So well, whether that be through like some crazy Vipassana retreat, which is like quite an, quite an, an investment to do 10 days away from life and society or whether it be like a hiking trip out into the woods where you can be silent and just observe nature like certain people heal in different ways so just and i know it's kind of corny to like to to quote jesus like right away but that was honestly like who that was the environment i was raised in so like know thyself however the fuck you know how to do that like make that happen <laughs> i don't think it's corny at all i think to recognize your roots is very important and i think i i had talked about it earlier where i had said you know i had talked about the profound experience i had uh which had led me to my spiritual journey it was it was rooted in christianity mm. it was uh, rooted in a church mm. and you know i respect it for that and i acknowledge it for that and I love and I and I love it for that. And I, I wouldn't change that for anything because it led me on the journey that I am on today. Because I wouldn't be on the journey that I am without that moment and without that profound experience that I had when I walked out of that church and I looked at the world in a new 
from it throughout a new lens that was brighter than any other lens I had uh, seen before. Uh, for myself, what I had experienced was that lens was something new, mm. which it, it was a lens that for me wasn't uh, led in Christianity. It was shown through Christianity, but I was I was taught that it is there's so much more to it. There's so many as we said, there's different paths up the mountain. Hmm. There's different ways that you can find your journey to the peak. There's different ways to the third eye. There's different ways to find the core, to find the energy, to find your uh, journey to the higher frequency, to vibrate at that higher point. And on that note, John, mm-hmm. I want to thank you mm-hmm. for being here today, tonight. Mm. On the Roots of Life podcast, mm. I have waited mm. for this moment for a long time. I love you mm. as my own. You are a brother. You are family. You are my best friend. Mm. And I value and I cherish your friendship and the mm. relationship and the bond that we share together. And I thank you for sharing your experiences with me. Mm. It's been a fantastic evening and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Hmm. I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of the roots of life podcast. If you have any questions or inquiries, (laughs) feel free to find us at roots of life podcast at gmail.com. We thank you. We love you all. Hmm. And we hope that you all find peace and enlightenment on your journey throughout this world. John, if you had any last <laughs> words for the listeners out there, please share them with them now. Love you too, man. Like, honestly, heading into this podcast, I was really anxious. Like, I've been going through, like, a lot of my life, like, the death of one of my best friends and, like, just um, also leaving, like, a girl that, like, I was with every day for, like, for six months. Like this um, kind of idea of putting your journal public, like I was explaining this to like some random person earlier to earlier today, and like it's kind of been like thought feedback loop pattern that I've been thinking about is like podcast thing, this like advent of like speaking your mind flowing, also. It's better if you don't have a script, obviously, because then you're really getting at the untouched. This the thing that we're, we are doing right now, presently, like as I'm looking at, at like my old wallet, my phone that just broke because I tried to manifest reality because I was attached to it. It broke, um, which is like a very healthy thing to like let go of aspects of like mean a lot to you. All of this, like, um, it's so healthy to kind of get this stream of consciousness out there. Like, when you're writing a journal, in at least in the common West I was, that I had, that I had grown up with, you write a journal, you write in your journal, and then you lock it up. You put, like, a key on it, it's locked up, only you get to read it. Like, you might tell your best, best friend, like, a tiny bit of your journal. But this podcast like in is about expressing like everything that's like inside of you just flowing 
and like letting that out to whoever is listening. Only if like a few people are really listening to this that know us and who don't know us, it's like, like, yo, read my journal, read our journal about like our lives and like what we're, we're we are going through right now. And um, maybe that resonates with you. Maybe it doesn't. But at any rate, like, you'll connect with the openness, the openness that we are expressing right now and hopefully want to share that openness with other people. And um, maybe that will create some change. And that's ultimately what we try to do with the Roots of Life podcast is present people with information and knowledge that will help them uh, create change and positive, create positive influences in their lives. And so, John, once again, I want to thank you so much for being here with me tonight. And know, I want you to know that you are welcome anytime on the Roots of Life podcast. Mm. You are a huge influence on this podcast and the content that gets created throughout this platform. You have grown up with both the hosts. You have, you, your DNA is a part of us. You are one with us. And your energy is always acknowledged and always appreciated. And your words are always shared here. So thank you, everybody, for listening to the Roots of Life podcast. My name is Taylor. I am one half of the hosts on the Roots of Life podcast. My guest today is John Sketchley. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I look forward to uh, coming back from Vipassana in the following weeks and sharing that experience with you and telling you about the changes that I've experienced and the knowledge that I have gained. And I hope to share that with you in a way that you can grow and that you can learn to love yourself because that's what Roots of Life podcast is all about. Thank you, and we will talk to you soon.